0: As a fan, I'm just going to be super earnest myself because I, I believe the setting deserves it and the kind of subject we're going to talk into deserves it. Thank you for, for breathing some, some new life into these songs which have travelled with us you know, throughout our lives. You know, it's been such a stone cold classic album and we appreciate you stepping outside of what is probably maybe against your instincts and deciding to do that initially at least. And It's been a beautiful moment for us. How's it felt from the stage seeing that kind of celebration you know, around Joshua Tree? We weren't really sure uh, before the first show how it was going to work out.
1: And um, after the Vancouver show, we all got back to the dressing room and looked at each other and we went, I think this is going to work. <laughs> it's like right. we, we came off feeling that it, everything that we thought might connect and add up um, between the imagery and the music to something greater than the sum of its parts mm. seemed
2: to actually be doing what we'd hoped it would do and more. So We are in denial, though, at the edge. We are in a kind of denial. You are in which particular I, denial? I think the denial is, is that we're, our stance, you see, is, is that we've just put out The Joshua Tree last week. Mm. That's the way, you know, we're not approaching it as a sort of nostalgia thing. Yeah, And, and so we're, you know, and there's no references to the past, and it seems like the world around us now is, is not too dissimilar um, to the world around it, uh, us then. Um, but it is denial. We're in a, This is a kind of
0: communal denial. The we think we've just put out the Joshua Tree. Yeah. That's, our, that's our angle. Well, here's it. the good news. Um, in order to further establish the denial that you're talking about, it sounds like you just put out the Joshua Tree on that stage. The way you're playing those songs, mm. um, you know, the, the, the standard musicianship that obviously has developed over time, um, the way those songs have been given life by fans mm. in the 30 years since you put that record out, and the way they sing them back to you now, same um, same sense of 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 urgency, really intense emotion, and you must really recognise that.
2: I think the band were always uh, a great band, and, and they've played, but they're playing e- even better now. If you don't mind me saying so, uh, well, why would you? It's a compliment. <laughs> I don't feel the same uh, about my singing on the Joshua Tree. I don't, I don't. It, it wigs me out a little bit to listen to it, so I haven't listened to it. But I feel much better about it now, so I would say I've caught up with the bands in terms of um, their musicianship. I feel like now I can sing those songs.
0: You know, we can't talk about Joshua Tree, I don't think, without paying respects to the Unforgettable Fire album, um, which I love. Um, And it's so funny, you know, today was the first time that I'd remembered in a long time about the, uh, the artistic connection between the two. Mm. You know, with the gold trim, the black and white photo. Um, they are, to me, in many respects, brother and sister. They were supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. And yet a lot of people look at Joshua Tree as this huge leap on from Unforgettable Fire. And that that's intriguing now, thinking about it, because really, so many of the decisions you made when you made Unforgettable Fire informed that record.
1: Yeah, I think after the war album, everyone assumed that we would um, try and kind of double down on the success of New Year's Day and Sunday Bloody Sunday and just make a hard-hitting rock and roll record. Mm. But we realized that it was becoming a little bit of a too tight a box to work within. So we wanted to do something a bit more broad, a little bit more innovative. And so we managed to persuade Brian to come and work with us. And it was really a campaign, you know, because he, at that point, was was doing his own thing. I don't think he even knew who we were. That was (laughs) the funny thing. But we invited him, got him to come to Dublin wined and dined him and played him some demos and Bono gave him the Irish charm. And he actually like told us afterwards, he said, he said, you know, that time I came to Dublin, I really had come along to, to tell you very nicely that I just wasn't interested. I said at the end of the meeting, he just was so intrigued, um, not only by what we were talking about, the songs we were playing, him, but also what we were trying to do, where we were trying to go and our spirit of experimentation. Uh, I think intrigued him, and Brian's a great kind of teacher, really. I mean, he t- has actually been a, a, a lecturer in art, mm-hmm. so he, I think, he saw us as just really eager to learn and wanting
0: to go places with him mm-hmm. as our kind of almost mentor. The beautiful thing, and you've always been very good collaborators, um, in terms of opening up your music to others and looking for that extra that extra greatness, you know, to make your music really thrive. Um, but there's a time when you have to step on stage, you have to own that yourselves, and I think that there was a moment. Um, I mean, obviously you played played Croke Park, that was a huge gig for you. You knew you were onto something good with Unforgettable Fire, but as far as the rest of the world outside of your own country knew, it was Live Aid. They changed that. Mm. Um, and you know the, the importance of that show leading into Joshua Tree, I think, shouldn't be undermined, because the confidence that it, it gave you, perhaps later, once the dust mm. didn't settle, seemed to kind of inform, it, at least from a fan's point of view. But I need to clear something up, because to the world, and I remember exactly where I was when I watched that concert, you completely and utterly stole whatever show there was to steal, but the rumour was always that you were never happy with the performance.
2: Yeah, we didn't feel like that. Particularly, I uh, felt that I'd let down the band because I, we were supposed to play three songs. It was the biggest, you know, telecast in the history of telecasts mm-hmm. and people watching from all over the globe, this moment in time, and I went into one. Um, during the song Bad and disappeared into the crowd with a very bad hairdo on my dad. That's terrible. And uh, to have such a great moment, always be attached to a mullet, is not really one of the great moments. For me, going forward... I mean, it was,
0: but it was a full-bodied mullet. I mean, it wasn't like you were apologizing. It was You were going forward. A man it. I mean, should not look like his hair has been ironed. But, I mean, there, it, there was a lot going on in, in the 80s. There, there was a lot of leather. There was a lot of high-waisted trousers and a lot of mullet. But there was also an opportunity that you took that day to connect with the crowd. Was that not part of the U2 experience at that point? The with thing
2: the- is, is, at a U2 show, we want the bare seat to be the back of the house, everything's you designed for that. Mm-hmm. So whether we're climbing into the audience, um, that, I think they call it the fourth wall, we're always trying to smash that. Mm. And m- my idea of a performer is not one that's comfortable with the distance between the stage and the audience. My idea of a performer is one that might leave the stage and, f- and you might find them in your life, on your lap, following you mm-hmm. home, Mugging you in the alley, making you tea, whatever it is. But that comfortable distance, we've always tried to attack as a band and between uh, an audience and uh, and the stage, we try to smash that. We do it with technology now, but back then we just did it physically. We went into the audience. And with Live Aid, I'm always looking, as all performers are, for a symbolic moment, something that represents the day. And I found this girl who... um, uh, who was getting crushed. And I just went into her and grabbed her and sort of danced with her. Now, strange thing, I haven't told you this, she was there last night. No. Oh. So 30 years later. Yeah. Really? I'm yeah, just, yeah. So just looking for that moment. But I, because we, we missed playing Pride, which is our big song. Ah. And the band were not very happy. Right. I wasn't <laughs> very happy. And I remember being very, very de- depressed about it. And I took a drive in the country and we got back to Dublin. Um, mm. And I met this sculptor. Um, and just in Wexford, a little town in Ireland. And he was working on a piece and it was a guy jumping and he said, it's called the leap. And he said, it's you. <laughs> and, and it was one of those That's beautiful great. moments. He said that was the most inspiring. He said, you were trying to leap across. You wanted to make the connection, making that leap is you know, it's a step of faith. It's you know, it's, it's, you, you you jump from knowing into unknowing. You don't know where you're going to go to, which is a metaphor, I suppose, for any kind of music, really, for me- composing music. When you improvise, the way we songwrite, a lot of the time is we we improvise. We don't know where we're going, and that's that's how we've made some of our best music. The experimental thing, the improvisational thing, which we were learning with Brian Eno and Daniel Alma on the Unforgettable Fire, came up with some great songs, um, like uh, sort of Homecoming or Pride of the Name of Love, Unforgettable Fire.
0: MLK. MLK,
2: but it also got into some wild territory Mm. where on this song Elvis Presley in America, Mm. there are no words, it's wordless language, it's just a a sonic painting Mm. and I love the track. Yeah, and me so. too. And I, I really just love. wish I'd finished the song and that's what, and I feel the same way about bad. And so going into his oh. He's Going going into the Joshua Tree, we were determined uh, yeah. to finish the songs. And I still didn't get to finish a lot of the songs. And myself and Larry went Wait, which away. ones do you
0: feel you didn't get to finish on Joshua
2: Tree? Uh, um oh it's gonna hurt. Uh I've, I want Where the to help streets are no name. Where the streets are no name. Musically, it's no, no, no. Musically, mm-hmm. it's yeah, great. But it, musically, it's great, and an edge, and the band deserve credit for that. But lyrically, it was just a sketch, and I was, I was going to go back and write it out. What did it? What's powerful about it is it's an invocation, right? Where you say to a crowd of people, whether there's a hundred or a hundred thousand, you say. Do you want to go to that place, uh, that other place, the yeah. place of imagination, the place of soul? Do you want to go there? Because right now we can go there. Do you want to? Mm-hmm. And when you say that, to this day, when I say that, the hairs go up on the back of my neck right. and on a lot of people there. Right. Because you're going to that other place and- so how can you ask a question of an
0: audience with a complete thought? Surely it has to be incomplete, okay. order to get the reaction from them. Interesting. See, I love
2: that lyric, and, and Bonnet, that's interesting I that you should say that. I mean, a, aren't a, you
0: waiting for us to answer the question for you?
2: Yeah, but <laughs> but it's uh, well, what, what it is. Is and again, I shouldn't really say this, but just as a, you develop vanity as a songwriter. He's very hard on himself. No, no, you, veal- you develop vanity himself. as a songwriter. I'm sure it's the same for drums, the same for these. Like you go, whew. Mm. and it's just, I knew I could, I could write that better, and. Mm. And I, and Brian was saying, um, and wipe the it. band was saying... saying <laughs> delete, delete that. No, no, Eno did try to wipe it. <laughs> I'm gonna get Eno, to that. Yeah, Probably <laughs> tried to wipe it, but, but um, anyway, I think what you just said something really important there. And incomplete thoughts are generous Damn. because they allow the listener yeah. to finish them. Yeah. Mm. That's what you're on about. I think I will have to be, as a songwriter forever, realize that the most powerful invitation, this invocation, Mm -hmm. where the streets have no name, Mm -hmm. will always be not a great lyric.
0: You are but out of your mind. Song. You're out of your mind. Yeah, I think he you're is out, out of your mind. mind. That right. song, the way it starts, the lyrics, the idea, you know, the imagery. Like last night when it.
2: people were singing, I want to run, I want to hide. I, I knew they meant it and they felt it. And you they could- felt it as I had felt it. Um, uh, I just wouldn't have rhymed. Um,
0: <laughs> uh, Go on. <laughs> hide with inside. Um, <laughs> I just wouldn't. No, you know, there was were stories about you you spending time with the Stones and spending time with Bob Dylan, and those having mm. you know, quite impactful experiences for you as a writer and as, and as a band in terms of having the confidence to tackle some of those musical, those instruments, and those sounds. Mm.
2: Part of the sort of biblical uh, way is the, the the passing of a of a blessing,
1: mm.
2: the laying on of hands. You know. Uh, So you think of, you know, um, Abraham laying on his hands on on Isaac, you know. So this bestowing of ancient wisdom, as it were. And uh, we always had a reverence for for older, um, wiser um, troubadours. Johnny Cash is eternally cool. But in the '80s, he hit a moment where people didn't really recognise him for the genius he was. But we went after him, and we wanted to learn from Johnny Cash. Um, That's more believable than Bob Dylan Mm. going after Bob. Although Bob is, you know, will always turn everything on its head. And I met my hero at Slane Castle. I was standing. Waiting for him, and to, to meet him, and he came from behind, and he knocked like, this guy knocked me on the on the shoulder, I turned around and he went, "Can I have your autograph?" <laughs> <laughs> Which is just genius. It's just totally Bob Dylan. Did you give it to him? Um, no, I, I couldn't speak or think or talk. You know, um, but you know whether it was Sinatra, Willie Nelson, um, you know, we we, we Roy go Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison. We go after these people in order to learn. So we went off on this journey of discovery into American music and folk music. Mm -hmm. And that we had in one hand as we went into the Joshua Tree, and in the other hand we had let's make music the likes of which no one has ever heard before. So ancient and modern, that was the dialectic. Amazing Uh, you
0: achieved so much in such a short amount of time. Was it only nine months I think you recorded that record?
2: We found this house, which was next door to the school that Adam had been expelled from. And uh, it was a sort of posh boarding school, and and there was not, hardly any furniture in it. Um, it was, at, you know, it, it was it was owned by a playwright called Tom Murphy. Very basic, but a big old, I guess, noble house. Mm. Uh, um, and and for us to be in this room, was high ceilings, and and walls, and we we just set up, and fell in love with the music fell in love with each other in a certain sense, but mm-hmm. the people who were making the music, mm-hmm. we would go out, it was a pub called The Blue Light, we would go out um, drinking in the, in the blue lights and sometimes I'd come home and uh, I was painting with Guggy and Charlie Whisker and the people, so I was a painting at nights. Uh, it, it was just, it was a very um, high time. Uh, there were no uh, drugs involved, but it, it, uh, at no. least... Magic. Mushrooms. <laughs> oh, really? It okay. used to grow in the field. <laughs> okay, there was magic <laughs> mushrooms.
0: Did that influence any of the songs on the record? Is there, are there moments on James which H- 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 H-
1: you, you might explain. It was sort of a little later, but I had one funny moment with the mushrooms. Um, this was a metaphysical experiment, you yeah. understand. Of course, you know, of course. It was, of course. Very it's very spiritual. So I uh, I happened to come late to a party that was happening at Adam's house. and. Um, some lads were offering me some to try, so I said I'd never done it before. I might as well. So took a few, waited forty minutes. Nothing had happened.
0: You didn't double down. So I doubled, <laughs> you didn't
1: double down. <laughs> the, down.
0: That is weird. I can't understand you. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's
1: even worse because I actually went to bed. <laughs> oh, so I'm in. The That's rule number two I'm on a, the mushrooms. You never a, put yourself in a dark room. of a dark room. <laughs> <laughs> watching fire, fireworks displays that are happening in my imagination. And uh, then I started to understand the secrets of the universe. I had this moment of, of insight, and I was thinking to myself, I will never remember these tomorrow. I have to record these insights. So I crawled across the floor, <laughs> which took me about 25 minutes, got to my walkman, my recording walkman, yeah. got back to bed, hit play, and then the red light came on. So it was another 25 minutes looking at the red light. The red light. Oh no, The Secrets of the Universe. Uh, so I recorded both sides of the C90, all of the important insights into The Secrets of the Universe. Tell me you have that tight. Next day, woke up, and it was about 8 o'clock the following night when I finally realized, oh my god, I made a recording of The Secrets of the Universe. <laughs> Better go and listen to what that was. So I went up and the, it was still on record, you know, batteries all run yeah, yeah, down, yeah. but so put new batteries in, turned the tape over, hit play. I was like <laughs> all I could do was I've <laughs> been talking into the battery compartment the whole night. <laughs> Lost, not a single audible word. Lost. I so just think. The secrets of the universe. It's heartbreaking. It's that heartbreaking, but it's kind of Terrible.
0: bittersweet as well. Yeah, I suppose. Um, the album Joshua Tree became something that was cherished and appreciated by by America, you know. And America really embraced that record as being more than just an album. It, it became a spiritual and emotional experience, live and to listen to. And um, it's interesting because there's so much subject matter on that record that goes beyond America. There's, you're drawing inspiration from all sorts of different things, but just felt like as a whole really mm. opened up and I wondered, you know with 30 years of hindsight why you think that is why do you think it connected in such a, a meaningful way
2: um I think we got away with it be partly because we're Irish and because um the Irish more than most but along with others um, see America as a kind of promised land mm. so a mythic America mm. Because there's two Americas. There's the actual America and there's the, the mythic the America. Yeah. Views, yeah. And uh, we're open to this idea of a mythic America, you know, that it's not just a country, that it is an idea. And Ireland is, 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 is a great country, and New Zealand is a great country, and, you know, but they're not ideas. And mm-hmm. so we started to explore this, uh, as a, a, this idea of America. I felt I personally became like an annoying fan of this mythic America where the liner notes, you know of the country like the Declaration of Independence yeah. I would follow America into the bathroom and quote the liner notes saying, you know, what's happened to you? Yeah. this is who you are, you not, you not, you're not living up to who you are and For whatever reason I think because of just love and respect for the idea of America. We've gotten away with uh, with, with being such a pain in the ass critic um, and you know, there were times it was difficult. Um, we had death threats. We've had... Um, uh, anonymous,
1: anonymous death threats. Fun. Yeah, Fun. I mean, we've had many of them. Crazy but people. But yeah.
2: I think in Arizona, we campaigned for Martin Luther King Day um, when it was being uh, rejected. And uh, and the, the FBI came down and said, look, we, we're worried about the show tonight and... We've been told that if you sing this song, Pride in the Name of Love, you will be executed. And we're taking it seriously because a lot of people, it's hard to, to pat everyone down and all of that. But um, I remember going ahead with that. Of course, we're not going to be intimidated, but I do remember having a moment, mm-hmm. the verse in the middle where it talks about the assassination. I thought, well, it's going to happen, it's going to happen here. So I, I kind of got down on my knee and I closed my eyes. And when I looked up, he was standing in front of me, oh, giving it all the... Amazing. Giving it
0: a bit of... Uh, amazing.
2: Of, of chin. Of chin. Yeah, and, love that. But, but you know, him. America was a, um, and is a uh, taciturn place. It, it, it can um, it can turn on itself. We've all got a lot of stake in the American idea. We wanted to succeed, mm. and it's, it's, it's a beautiful idea. Mm-hmm. And and that's why we, we get worked up about it, and that's why we're
0: passionate about it. You know, it's something that's obviously it's still. You're right. so prevalent because I mean, you wrote a great, great lyric, um, and you know, great moment on the Kendrick Lamar album. You know, it's it's not a place. This country is to me a sound, drum bass. You close your eyes and look around, and mm-hmm. to look around, and um, you know, it just feels like that, that's an extension of what you were saying on Joshua Tree, even thirty years on. It's still that striving. It's moment. a letter to
2: America. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a song called "American Soul," coming up on songs. Songs of experience. A lot of the songs, on songs of experience, are letters, and uh, there's a letter to our audience about performers not trusting them. It's called "The Showman." <clears throat> and uh, Is this the return of the fly. Uh, it's 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 much more good. Well, it's, the fly was pretty good, humoured. Pretty good. Um, it's uh, it's like <laughs> a. Beatles song. It's like a. It's really simple pop song, but defiant. Right. But American soul is a letter to America, and um, yeah, it's an, It is. It's not a country. It's an. It's an idea. It's uh, the other verse goes. Um, um, it's not a place. This country is to me a thought, that offers grace for every welcome that is sought. So the idea that it's 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 an open um, country. So now you have talk of walls, you know, uh, President Trump, who's, I I don't know what party he's from, I don't think he's from any party, but um, Ronald Reagan spoke about America's a shining city on a hill, famous speech, and he said, you know, if there has to be walls, those walls will have doors and those doors will be open. Mm. So you couldn't get further Mm. from, Mm. you know, there's a Republican, view, a very traditional view of America. You can get further from that to now where we are with this, uh, this uh, fella, which is, it, 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 to me, it's not even like a presidency. It's a very different America we're in now. It's not, it's not the, um, it's not the one that any of the founding fathers uh, But it's not
1: the first mm-hmm. time we have seen it. There's mm-hmm. been instances where you've had that kind of thing. There was the nativists back around the famine time, who object to all the Irish coming that, you know, there's been waves of immigration that have have been resisted. But the thing is, it's always gone back, you know, to to those principles. And uh, that's, that's the great thing about America.
2: The principles are best expressed on the bottom of the Statue of Liberty. Now, those beautiful lines by Emma Lazarus, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. That's what America is and that's why we love it.
0: Big. I wondered how you felt at that time, looking back on it, when you, when you become the biggest band in America that quickly you're on the cover of Time magazine. What the gift and the curse is with that? You're in the center of that storm. We are certainly running very fast.
1: Mm. And we'd agreed to make a movie which was probably very smart in a certain way, but also not <laughs> yeah. planning it very well and put us yeah. under even more pressure.
0: Yeah. I think that kind of success in, in America is so overwhelming if you come from you know, an island on the edge of the Atlantic, because yeah. the scale of it is, is enormous.
3: I think all the experiences were different for all of us. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, for myself and Adam, you know, the job is kind of supporting what's going on around us and I think both musically and, and in all the other ways, that's our job. Our job is to support what's going on. Mm. I do remember um, during the Joshua Tree tour when we ended up on the cover of Time magazine, it was kind of the moment where everything changed. It was just, it was everything was different. We walked differently. We, we felt different. And we went on to make um, Rattle on Home. Mm. And I remember, you know, being encouraged to explore American music and explore the blues and have a look at all those things, and um, eyes wide open. And uh, and then you get to "Back Baby," which is now we're chopping down yeah. the Joshua tree, and it's like a, the, the juxtaposition.
2: Was, just... Some, was it guilt? I, I, I'm trying to think, because I I relate. To the angst i think i had more of it than than the rest of you but i think we we didn't feel we deserved to be that band
0: well that's what your speech at the 88 grammys would have suggested i watched that for the album of the year it, it doesn't get more celebratory in terms of trinkets you know in the, in the music industry and your whole speech was sort of kind of Yes. You couldn't, you just one foot in one room and one foot in the other and it was, it was interesting. We, we'd
2: gone away on holidays um, with our partners, Larry and myself. We went away to the Bahamas or somewhere and we sat up at the bar every night commiserating.
0: When? At what point in this time? As
2: soon as the Joshua was finished, the day after. We Before left. it
0: came out? Yeah, yeah. So, so we it's were, mastered, it's done. We were,
2: it was done, there was nothing we could do about it and we were just like, ah, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> so... That's probably a clue into the mindset. I mean, miserable fuckers. And, and I remember Paul McGuinness <laughs> saying, um, you know, because we, Anton used to do the stony faced men look and he yeah. did it brilliantly. <laughs> but Paul McGuinness, our manager, uh, um, said, said to us, you know, don't be the band that looks too stupid to enjoy being at number one. Amazing. And I mean, we had to work at it. Yeah, had, but I mean, but, was, but what that, was that? that, I mean, you know
3: the, the story of the
2: Anton photo
3: shoots is that he only took the photographs when we looked serious. In between all those times, there were lulls. There were a lot of laughs. Yeah. I mean, that's what's kind of funny. It wasn't always intense. It was intense for periods of time.
0: You know, what was was great from that time was that it felt like it was a fifth member of the band and new manager Paul McGuinness. What is it you miss the most about having him actively working with the band because you're still out here making records, touring, these things to do? He was a real student of the music business which complemented what we were trying to do. So mm-hmm. he would always think of what would be a better way of getting the music to more people, mm-hmm. whether it was through mm-hmm. gigs or through meeting people or introducing us to people. And, and I think that was really important at the time. So.
3: And, and also the name of, of his company, Principal Management. You know, that, that was by design, that's not, that's not by accident. Mm. And I think it is amazing that you know we we sit here as one of the few um, bands ever not to have been ripped off or taken advantage of, and Paul took care of all that stuff, and he did it with principle and honour. And um, so, you know, it's not that. It's not that that's happening now, but having that steady hand and knowing that you got this character, because he was such a larger-than-life character, um, it is different. And um, I certainly miss that larger-than-life character there, because when the shit hit the fan, Mm. and when it hits the fan, Paul was always able to step in. That was when he became McGuinness. Yes, that was his thing. (laughs) What is it like being the biggest band in America?
2: At that time... In the world. It was
3: shocking at that time.
1: At that time, it meant
2: maybe a few thousand people outside your hotel. So it's different now.
0: And you're um, a shy guy.
2: But as you can imagine. Wow. And,
0: um, I, think he, I mean, he kind of came across that way, at least. <laughs>
2: well, no, you, you're, what you're doing is you're, you're trying to, you're creating a persona to protect yourself. Right. And, and then not being able to live up to your persona. <laughs> so what happened was, for a while, fame mattered. Mm. You started to, and it started to make you self-conscious. And self-consciousness makes even the prettiest face ugly. Just find a friend that you really love and just put a camera in front of a face, watch their face change. That's what happens to you with fame. And so the next years became a journey out of self-consciousness. Yeah. An acting baby was okay, fame, we want to be a famous? Let's come up with a properly famous. Let's let's develop now the proper rock star yeah. and have some fun with this. And that was the sound. Uh, that I just referred to of chopping down the Josh.
0: Oh yeah, and that. And then look.
2: we just went into it, and we might have gone into it a little no. uh, too gung ho there, because we really those uh, those uh, those plastic pants were
0: hard to get off. Actually, <laughs> it uh, wasn't even real leather. <laughs> no, PVC. No. Oh yeah. What's up with that? Oh yeah. I looked at the lights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I boil in the bag. <laughs> in the
2: for. <laughs> um, but 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 that's what it was. That's what fame brought was a self-consciousness, which is not really helpful for, for
0: uh for making art. I mean with or without you, we just I've got to say the name because fans will be like, I can't believe you didn't even talk about Wither Without You, but we can all agree that Wither Without You remains one of the great moments in your in your catalogue for the audience as much as anything else. Odd you know,
2: sounds, Odd. So. The thing about With or Without You to remember is how
0: odd it sounded when it came
2: out. Weird, on um, it's it's rumb- this rumbling bass. It's kind of
0: just a really amazing vibe. Whispering guitar,
2: and there's mumbling voice, and then you get to this big chorus. And, but it, it's, it's, we were students of this Roy Orbison tortured love song mm-hmm. thing, the slightly off-color love song. And uh, we've written a few, but that's, uh, that was probably the start of it. you had no idea at the time that that was gonna become what it was? It almost ended up
1: in the bin, because we couldn't get an arrangement that worked. We, there was an experiment with um, this infinite guitar that I'd mm. just received from mm. a friend. He'd basically made in his garage, which is a guitar that, when you depress the string, the note keeps going, mm. Mm. like it was a, a synthesizer key. Mm. And so I literally unpacked the thing, plugged it in, and was just playing in the other room. And I think Bono and... and Gavin were listening through the door, and they happened to put on the Without You track. I said, what's what's that? So I just said, it's this infinite guitar thing. He said, that's it, let's put that on this track. So, a couple of takes, and by just stripping out everything, or just the bass, it just cast the spell. It was just this tension Mm. immediately introduced, and that was kind of the, the moment where it, it came back out of the bin mm. because we couldn't get it. We were like, you know, I was playing regular guitar and it was just sounding so immediately too big
0: mm. because mm. it
1: has mm. so much opera, uh, opera in it. Yeah. So this was like bring it the opposite way, mm. like right down to its essence.
0: Where were you when you came up with the guitar on <clears throat> the Bullet, The Blue Sky?
1: Um, again, in that big room in Dane's mode, Um Well, actually, the very first demo was in a tiny little demo studio in, in Dublin. It's a fun story because I was um, listening to The Fall on, on the way in. There's this one track that had this amazing rhythm part, but it was an up-tempo song. So I was in the studio, I was trying this guitar part, and then Larry came out and started playing drums, but playing half time. And then Adams chimes in with the bass, and I'm like, what are they doing? Like, that's the wrong fucking beat altogether. So I was playing, we played for about five minutes and I was slightly, slightly peeved, you know, they don't they don't get it. It was what I was going on in my head. I walked into the control room and everyone was like, whoa, what was that? And I was like, no, no, but you don't understand. They were playing it wrong.
0: So it was and supposed then, to be double time yeah, And then I listened
1: back and I just went, oh my god. Oh,
0: that beat's ridiculous. The, the These guys are the that's stars. the bass. <coughs> the bass and the, that and little, oh, the drums. Oh, That double snare is like, that's the, that's the hook. Yeah. That's the hook. That's the moment, right? But that guitar, when you made the, it sound like the jet. That was later. That was
1: after Bonner came back from, from Central America. We were working on the, the tune with Eno and Lenoir. Mm. And um, it was an attempt to kind of try and find a, a sonic response to some mm. of the lyrics Bono was, writing at the time and um, you know a bit of a nod to jimmy page let's be honest but <clears throat> it was you know this is let's be honest <laughs> that's good that's good um, the dark lord is always welcome at this table. yeah <laughs> he's he's a he's a mensch he's a great guy that bass part mm. is it's, it's great is, is really a work of genius i remember when eno first heard the demo which was from the demo studio he was like i never ever want to hear that bass guitar soloed because it's so brilliant but he said i never really want to know what what it's doing
3: right right
1: i just want to hear it in this context beautiful so brilliant and so unorthodox so please never
0: solo it has this been a good experience for you overall connecting with your audience again in this way because whenever i've gone to a u2 show and i've been to every tour you take me somewhere else you're like Glad you liked us over here. Come over here and see how we feel. Get in a car and come with us over here. And we all went with you, but you've come back just this one time. You glorify the
2: past when the future dries up.
0: <laughs> That's not true. Now, who
2: wrote that? Okay, that was me. But um, <laughs> the, this is a very unusual moment of time. Um, and we've allowed ourselves to honour this work that we all feel lucky to have been a part of. I'm so surprised. Um, that we've enjoyed it as much as we have. But it's like setting the record straight. Mm. For me as a singer, I get the chance now to sing the songs. I get the chance to fix the lyrics I didn't like. So it's revisionism.
0: What and other songs are you fixing lyrics on that I'm not hearing no, in the
2: glory of Twickenham? Uh, I don't understand. Uh, like. You don't. It's a fine. But like it's, how many
0: it's, songs are you changing on the night here? Because I'm still singing my original stage.: yeah, I'm not hearing right. what
2: you're saying. I don't give a fuck what you're singing. No, that's right. At least you, at least you know the lyrics. Edge says no one listens to them. But um, so, so we we are enjoying this because we we are now the band that can play these songs. Right. That's an amazing feeling. Yeah. That is an amazing feeling to be that band. We, 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 we just about made that up. And it happens. Just lucky. You know, just the way, the way it all worked out. Now we can play those songs and enjoy those songs and feel those songs, sing those songs. And I'm really surprised. But it's going to make for a ridiculous
0: new you two, I wondered what going mm. back means that's for your the future. That's the only
2: reason. And, you know, glorifying the past because uh, the future dries up, that's a tattoo to just right across your head. And we better be fucking good going forward because uh, there's no interest here. We don't need it um, um, to be a heritage act. We're all doing very well, thank you very much. We're doing this because we want to do it. And because the songs make sense now in a way that they haven't for
1: a, lo- a lot of years. That's very true. It's like this moment is like an echo of the 80s in terms of what's going on politically. And so the
2: songs just
1: fit in. I mean, they don't sound. see
2: rage and out of place. defiance. And, you know, desert sky, dream beneath the desert sky. The rivers run, but soon run dry. We need new dreams tonight. That's the moment we're in. Everybody knows, whether you're living in London or New York or Los Angeles or Phoenix, Arizona, people are looking for new ideas. And so even just speaking that into the air is good. Um, And and maybe just by asking the question, you have to answer it.
0: Okay, bring it in. When's the next record coming? Do we have an idea? Is it coming this year? Uh, is it be this year? I think it's going to be this it's year. It's going to be this year. As long as experience, is it finished? Or is it done? It's like... Is it sli- it's a slight just tweak just for you. It could take three fucking years. I mean, how close are we talking? We just you know? have to re-record everything. <laughs> <laughs> Once we do that. Okay, now the most important question. Is the drummer happy? Are you happy with the new record?
3: Are you good? I, I, you know, I think it's,
0: it's get, we're getting there. That's a resounding <laughs> success for the first. point of the year, it's, it's incredible. So a new record hopefully coming this year. This tour has been phenomenal for us as fans to be able to experience these songs again. And for me, as a lifelong fan, to have an opportunity to sit down and dive deep into these stories has been really special. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Exactly. Yeah. I know, I feel <laughs> fucking terrible. You know how many fans are going to hate me for not talking about running? Or God's mm-hmm. country? I'm in trouble. <clears> thanks <throat> Thank you, man. Cool. Next time.